In a medieval weaponry boutique, the shopkeeper impales a customer with a discount falchion and flails out the door in a panic. A moment before tripping on a crossbow and becoming obsolete, the victim smears blood on three rapier hilts. Is it a clue to the murder? Is it a hint at the motive? No, it's Dying Message, the detective anime mystery podcast. Dying Message, where each week we watch detective anime along with a mystery guest. Today's case, Woodpecker's Detective Office, Episode 1, A Pleasant Occupation. I'm your lead investigator, Noah Max Levine, and I'm returning from our podcasting hiatus with a newly reignited passion for anime, mysteries, mystery animes, anime mysteries, and also well-constructed plates of nachos. Okay, so what do we do on this podcast? We watch... Different detective anime, mystery anime, we bring on a mystery guest, different person each week to talk through it. Um, This week we watched Woodpecker's Detective Office, which you can watch on Crunchyroll if you want to watch before or after uh, listening to this episode. There's not too much to spoil here, but you can be sure we're going to spoil it as much as we can. Noah, something's weird's happening. You keep mispronouncing Detective Academy Q. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've mostly covered Detective Academy Q. That's a good point. I didn't even say this. Thank you, Michael. Um, (laughs) Why are we we doing Woodbreaker's Detective Office? Well, our next few episodes, we're all going to be looking at anime from the last couple years, last two, three years. It aired in 2020. I actually remember because I think we started to watch it and then they stopped airing it briefly when the pandemic started. And then... Oh, yeah. It was right around that time uh, in March of 2020. I forget if it was one of the animes that kept running or one of the animes that stopped briefly. But anyway. Maybe, maybe we just decided in the height of the pandemic we didn't want to watch an anime about poet who died of tuberculosis. Well, uh, I don't know, Michael. You are, after all, as I introduce you now, our, a resident anime expert, Michael Savitsky. Um, though we haven't been podcasting recently, we have still lived together, and you've been an anime expert in all that time. <laughs> But uh, now that we're coming back to podcasting, is there anything with you that's changed about you while we were on a break? No, nothing has changed about anything forever. Because <laughs> that's the world we live in right now. You say that as if you haven't spent the last two weeks just playing VR. Oh, I've been playing a lot of VR. I recently discovered VR chat, which I haven't chatted to literally anybody, but I have had the fun of going to different people's worlds and like shopping for avatars which is something like going to random stores and shopping for shit but without the disease risk or spending money so that's fun yep we're still what well we're recording this a bit early early before it's going to air but here in uh february 2020 in the u.s it's still it's still pandemic times that is for sure all right mike what have you got for us today yeah so uh we briefly have talked about the meiji era before but since this entire uh anime takes place in the meiji era i thought i'd talk about it real quick yeah, I don't remember how much detail I went into before. Me neither. So the Meiji era is uh, li- exactly 1868 to 1912, uh, so it's not like a rough number of years. It is named after Emperor Meiji, who was the emperor during this time, or at least at the beginning of this time. I'm not an historic uh, expert, so I don't have a lot of details. But this is where we see a lot of westernization, and like we... You know, the characters have, like, traditional Japanese t- attire, but there's also people walking around in Western suits of the era, and it's really where Japan was opening up to the world. Uh, and there's this move from, you know, it's still it's still an empire, but there's this move from, like, the, the Shogun era, where everything's ruled by perfect, prefectual warlords uh, to a more democratic state. Democratic? Uh, closer to now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really an interesting time period, and I think this, but uh, this is kind of really different from a lot of the stuff we've watched so far, which has mostly been Detective Academy Q. Yeah, I thought it was fun to bring up the show, the Meiji era, uh, primarily because uh, spoilers, since they talk about it pretty heavy-handedly in the first five minutes of the episode, uh-huh. uh, the character Ishikawa Takuboku, uh, the poet, uh, dies uh, very young of tuberculosis. Yeah. In the year of 1912. So his death practically marks the end of the Meiji era, which is very thematic for a, a poet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, since we're talking about a poet and uh, I don't know, maybe classing it up a little. I don't know if this anime accounts as classing it up Com- compared to what we've been watching. Did you see the opening? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let's let's bring on our guest who can certainly speak to I don't know the value poetry and literature and um, poetic literature. So I'm really excited to. This is actually a, f- a first for the podcast because a lot of the, our guests have been people I know personally, uh, but they're very mysterious people. And uh, so far, I don't think I've gone back further than college in terms of inviting guests on. And this is someone I've known since elementary school, so that's also exciting. So our guest this episode is an IB English teacher and competitive powerlifter. She's a reader of long, hard, thick books and has her sights set on reading Moby Dick. And she often solves the mysteries of the sticky-fingered elves. I've cracked the case. It's Maddie, who's an old friend of mine. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so you've had a very different experience this past year than us, because um, we're over here in the U.S. and you've been living in Taiwan. And um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious because like podcasting has been our pandemic hobby. Have you found yourself like pandemic hobbying or? Is life so normal? Life is honestly, and and I feel terrible saying this, especially (laughs) to people in the U.S., but, you know, life has proceeded very normally here in Taiwan. Um, My usual hobby, which is powerlifting, uh, has been able to continue. So I've been able to keep training for the past year without any issues. Um, I just kind of keep on keeping on my normal shit. So uh, I've had, I haven't really had a need to pick up a quarantine hobby. Just the regular ones. Yep. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, here in the U.S., we've just been powerlifting our way out of a democracy oh, as much God. as we can. <laughs> I mean, there was there like, I mean, it's actually a really fitting time, I think, that, the, that we're recording this podcast right now because uh, the, the Lunar New Year is upon us. And that's exactly when the pandemics started here um, in this part of the world. And there was a good, you know, two, three, four week period that was quite scary here in Taiwan, especially, um, you know, the region was hit by SARS, you know, how long ago was it? Like right. eight or so. Uh, but Taiwan did a really good job of preparing its healthcare infrastructure and strategy for, you know, another scenario like it. So we've been quite lucky um, that they've been doing that. But the new year is upon us. It's been almost exactly a year since all of this started. So it's quite a quite a poetic timing for this podcast recording, isn't it? There's a lot of poetry at play, and we'll get into that. But I'm curious, before we watched this uh, anime to talk about today, have you seen much anime? Um, I really am not sure if Avatar The Last Airbender counts as anime, but I have seen that it doesn't. My, my <laughs> He's shaking, shaking his head. Um, shaking his head, so that doesn't count. I didn't think it counted, or if it does, like, I feel like it's a very strongly divisive sort of like, does it count kind of show. Um, but that's pretty much my only real, actually, that's not true. I mean, my younger brother, you remember my brother, Al- um, Alex. No, yeah, like he was super into like Dragon Ball Z as a kid. And I remember like seeing it and I was like, and I did, we did not get along when we were young. And so anything that he liked, I thought was stupid. And like, why would I bother with it? But like, I obviously don't think that now. Um, I've heard actually very good things about Dragon Ball Z. And I know a lot of people who love anime, y'all included. So um, I'd consider it just something that I haven't really gotten into, but wouldn't mind getting into eventually. Yeah, well, I mean, Dragon Ball Z and that whole genre, like the shonen genre, is so different from what we were watching. Oh, 100%. Very different. <laughs> also, uh, by a modern standard, Dragon Ball Z has some wacky pacing. Uh, like nothing will happen for an episode and it'll be over and you'll be like, well, I guess I'll see what happens next week since all he did was yell very loudly this uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> I'll have to see if my brother remembers details like that because I mean we we were watching it as kids and it's not like kids have a super refined taste for you know storytelling and pacing and things like that. It's definitely what I think of when I think of I didn't watch it much, but I do think of like they're still fighting the same person episode after episode. Yeah, so really, my only exposure to to anime to answer your question that's been that's been about it. <laughs> yeah, that we just watched. What about mystery? novels, I don't know, TV shows. There's lots of other mystery things, true crime podcasts. 
Yeah. Um, it's also not really something that I'm into. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts myself just because I'm not a particularly aural person. You know, when I have things on in the background, even music, it's like for me to tune out. So I actually have a hard time sitting down and listening to something. Um, as for mysteries, it's also, again, this this sounds just like, like wh- I'm sure all of your listeners are going to be like, why did he bring this person on? She doesn't like anime and she doesn't <laughs> like, like mysteries. And like, what is that? Like mysteries are really just not a genre that I really love. Um, and the reason why I don't love them is honestly because like, they just make me feel so dumb. Like I never <laughs> ever can see them coming at all. Like see, you know, see what the see what the end is, and I hate that. And I also just don't like reading experiences that like force me to try to like predict what's happening. Like I don't like that. I like really reveling in language and just like being in the moment when I read. That being said, I do have a favorite mystery short story and that is death and the compass by jorge luis borges who is just a master storyteller but that's also it's like not even like it's a mystery but it's like a weird mystical mathematical mystery as well it's like not like your typical like i don't even know what a typical mystery is you know they're sherlock holmes or something but you know that that's me i'm not super into (laughs) or podcasts or mysteries so here i am (laughs) i think speaking to your uh, your opinion on mysteries how they sort of force you to be predictive uh while you're reading forward like i i feel like mystery writers often have an advantage over their audience whereas the the author gets to start at the ending and work their way backwards and just throw stuff on top of it Mm -hmm. whereas we as as the readers are like well we're going forward through this (laughs) we have you've set these traps for us uh, so there's a, there's a less cleverness for the person who write not to be like mystery authors are idiots, but like there's less no. requirement for cleverness on the the <laughs> on the side of the author where they're just like they know the answer and they're just putting traps in the way. Whereas we as the readers have to go forward. <laughs> so I think that the best mi- written mysteries actually don't require that you be that predictive and the things are there in front of you. Whereas mm-hmm. obfuscation is the trick maybe of the less skilled mystery author. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of like feeling like you have to predict things, if it makes you feel any better, we had seen this episode before. And when I rewatched it today, I had forgotten like that he forges a note at the end. And when he revealed it, I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So even watching it a second time, I was not ahead of the episode. We have sometimes been very clever and figured things out. And we have sometimes been left in the dust. I'm always dusty when it comes to history. (laughs) Always dusty. And then, okay, so if we know you're not much of an anime person or a mystery person, this is probably your first exposure to any kind of mystery or detective anime. It is, 100%. And that's what qualifies you to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you it's your show. You get to set the parameters on uh, who qualifies and who you invite. Uh, so if by, the, if by your own standards I fit, then, I mean... I'm here, so obviously I must. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just as interesting to hear the thoughts of someone who's like crazy about anime as someone who's who's like doesn't care much because I don't know, you're, it's a different perspective and a different point of view. Well, cool. We get to talk about literature. We get to talk about whether or not a detective is the same thing as a poet. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the conversation I want to have. Um, Michael, before we start talking about the anime wholeheartedly, we did a little bit of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything else we need to know about what we're watching today? Uh, Well, it's, as we said previously, it's the adaption of a 1999 mystery uh, novel, which primarily focuses on a specific mystery where they're trying to solve the haunting of this uh, Rionkaku skyscraper, which we briefly get introduced to in the background shot or the establishing shot of a scene where he runs to a brothel. Uh, which is foreshadowing the actual mystery from the novel. So I imagine a lot of these mysteries that we go through at the be- you know at the beginning of the anime are probably anime specific. But I haven't read the novel, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, and the main characters are Takuboku Ishikawa, which is a a famous poet who died young, and his friend uh, Kiyosuke 
Kindaichi, which is not related to the Kindaichi case files in any way. Oh, yeah. So don't get excited about that, Noah. <laughs> Who is, uh, from a historical perspective, um, a scholar of literature, uh, a dictionary author, and known to be a friend of Takaboko Ishikawa, and that's all I could find on him. So uh, this, is, this is the author of the novel having fun with these historical characters and deciding what their lives were like. And there were some other characters that came through that seemed like they could be historical figures that really existed and not just created for the anime. They're, they're doing that kind of um, historical person fan fiction, which we don't call fan fiction because... Uh, but it's fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if you, Maddie, had any prior knowledge. I don't know if you've ever looked into Japanese literature, had heard of either of these two people, or they talk about... Tong- What's the kind of poetry they talk about? Tanka. Uh, Tanka poetry. I personally had not heard of this, um, but I'm I'm not by any means, um, you know, my, my my experience with literature is like I'm my, my expertise and background is more in British and Irish literature. And also poetry is not super my jam or anything. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't really heard of this um, before. And I, you know, briefly looked at the Wikipedia page and what I saw is not any kind of particular surprise. I mean, it's a it's a highly uh, rigorous form of poetry uh, with very specific needs for very specific like metrical needs and like, you know, numbers of syllables per line. And there are like a, a number of uh, very set conventions that must be followed, which is typical from what I know of Japanese culture as well. Um, so it's not surprising that that would extend to this particular form of poetry. Yeah, and just like glancing at the t- the Wikipedia page for Tanka poetry, like very er- very quickly on there, it, there's a mention of Ishikawa Takaboko. Mm-hmm. So he's like a very he's a big deal. He's associated with the poetry, and it's associated with him. I think from my just from my research, not any prior knowledge. Uh, so if we think of haiku, you know, the five seven five syllable poetry that almost everybody learns in like third grade about Japan whereas tanka poetry uh 57577 but typically the poetry is more about like society and people and things that are man made whereas haiku focused very strongly on like nature and things that existed already so i don't know it, there, i think that uh ishikawa takaboku is known for like being part of the moving away from talking about nature and stuff and talking about people and society. Depth of my knowledge about everything. Are you sure he's not known for being, uh, I wrote down many of the things that were, he was described to be dashing, lying, mischievous, quick to cry, steadfast in friendship, quick to satisfy chatterbox who loved women was a romantic saint and a romantic sadist. I have no idea. This sounds like Lord Byron. Like this is Lord (laughs) Byron. And it's actually really interesting as well because, um, like, hearing a, just a little bit about the kind of uh, content orientation of, of this genre of poetry being a little bit less about nature, which I do know is a very common um, theme in Japanese literature, but, you know, focusing a little bit more on people and social norms. It sounds a little bit like at least part of what, you know, romanticism was all about. Um, and is this roughly the same time? No. Um the Meiji era would have um, overlapped maybe like with the very late romantics, you know, like kind of your Keats and your Shelley kind of folk. Right. Um, but this uh, poet sounds a little, so it sounds a little bit kind of like a, like a Lord Byron or like a, like a Coleridge kind of sleeping in the gutter, perhaps uh, kind of a vagabond type. Um so I liked I liked kind of seeing how this show kind of treated sort of like the poet figure, at least um, you know in this one episode. What I saw, yeah, and it's interesting to think like talking about Byron and Shelley, and some of those people have been focused in fictional works in kind of romanticized, heroicized ways, in the same way uh, these characters are here. So it's like every every culture has these figures that were like. Oh, it's like Edgar Allan Poe has been a detective like 10 times, you know, it's like. Was <laughs> he really? I mean, I'm not surprised by so. that, but like, that's cute. I like that. Again, it's <laughs> mostly because I don't like mysteries that I, that I don't know this. And, um, but that's, that seems, that seems interesting. It's cool. 
or, or more commonly, or, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle is often a detective oh, in like, yeah. someone's novel or something. Well, yeah. It's like, I write Sherlock Holmes, but also... As a Philadelphian, and like, this makes me think of like, what if somebody wrote, made an anime where Ben Franklin was like a young, <laughs> sexy guy, and like, <laughs> which I guess he was like, he's known for like, like he, he was an author and not a womanizer. I think he was, people say he was probably bisexual, but... <laughs> I mean, he spent a lot of time in France. <laughs> but yeah, th- this for some reason made me think specifically of Ben Franklin. What if Ben Franklin was young and sexy anime character? <laughs> Speaking of young, sexy anime characters, let's talk about the opening song of Woodpecker's Detective Office, <laughs> which I love the song. It's one of my like favorite recent songs in anime openings. Yeah, to do my due diligence, uh, I didn't remember to translate the opening of the theme song, or the name of the theme song. I'll, I promise to do that next time. But the name of it is Honjitsu mo Makoto ni Seitenari. I didn't translate it. I don't know. I, don't ha- I only have the Ramaji here. I'll have the kanji next time and translate it. But it is sung by a voice actor, uh, Makoto Furukawa, which most people would know as uh, One Punch Man or Saitama from One Punch Man. He apparently plays a character we haven't met yet in this anime. Interesting. One of the things I noted on the opening is there's a lot of characters that, like, flash by. I bet they're all uh, sexy young boy versions of historical figures. (laughs) (laughs) What other things did we see or that we remember from the opening? But that was so long ago. I don't really remember. I mean, I remember remember liking it. and And I do think that the music was actually a really strong element in the whole episode. Noah, you you mentioned something about like flashing heads or characters in the in the. Did I make that up? I made that up. There were flashing characters, and there were there was like a point when the two main characters each get a section where it's a bunch of different outfits, specifically non period appropriate oh, sexy yes. outfits. Yeah, yes, it was very cute. Yes, I liked. That. Each of them has like one pinup. One of them got like a pinup where it's like literally he's wearing like a hoodie like I am and headphones like I am and it's like except he didn't have an, a t shirt underneath and he was like hanging the hoodie off of the his shoulder. Like, thank this, you for you demonstrating uh, <laughs> visually by <laughs> draping your hoodie o- off over your shoulder. You know that way that way that people wear hoodies where it's like. Uh, this is this how you wear a hoodie? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. There's a bit of um two close male friends uh gay baiting almost, but not quite going on in the show, I would say. Yeah, I feel like the show does like visually a bunch of gay baiting or BL uh stylizing, but then also it's like but also these historical figures were very heterosexual. Look how much they like these prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> This first episode is not the only one about brothels and prostitutes. We can tell you that much. I mean, I wonder how common that was in that time period. Uh, so I, I did a little peeking into it just because I knew it was coming back again later. Uh, and so these are sort of the pre-geisha prostitutes. Uh, what is the name? I wrote them down. Oiran, uh, which is like sort of like lower brow. Like geisha were very much like playing to the the tastes of the rich people whereas uh-huh. oiran were sort of like the pre-geisha where it's like they were still like they they did performances and they were in these like tea houses and there was sort of like a a very similar like performance servant prostitute kind of thing very weird energy like if you talked about it now you'd be like that's weird but <laughs> the main difference is that they played like more to the artistic interests of the less rich so they were a little yeah. more like low brow whereas geisha were like Fancy, but it, it's all pre like outlawing of uh of prostitution, so it was like a social construct. Uh, but le- like, yeah, looking back, maybe more like lowbrow. I'm sure rich people still did it, but it was before rich people tried to like make it more fancy. Well, one of the interesting things about the the brothel is, I mean, there's still a lot of traditional buildings in Japan with like these sliding kind of doors that slide open, but like. If I was designing a brothel, I would not design it with traditional Japanese doors where the main <laughs> character runs into the brothel and is just, they're like paper thin. You could probably hear everything and just slamming open all of the doors. I mean, a lot easily. of the walls probably were paper. These are probably a lot of paper walls. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess maybe they're all just very quiet. 
wasn't that okay i'm kind of remembering we a while ago we started watching this anime and we saw a few episodes and i feel like what happens in the second or third episode is they go back to the brothel and he and the whole thing is about what they hear through the walls and what they don't hear through the walls yeah right and one of them like passes out and something happens while he's asleep or something or something like that (laughs) another thing in the opening that I noticed is is like there's a there's a, a part where like they kind of meld together and it overlays their faces and then there's a part where the like the character is moving and it's jumping back and forth between which person it is at the very end as they fall in this kind of cool effect but that sort of thing I don't know like does that not evoke romance not evoke like two people who are like deeply connected in that I guess they're deeply connected in a different way mm. we all see what we want to see. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny you say that. The classic example for me is there's uh, this anime Fafner in the Azure or Sokuno Fafner. And for me, I watched the entire show uh, by myself and I was like, oh my gosh, this show is like being so open. Like it's like they're not like sexual because they probably couldn't air it on mainstream TV. But these characters are clearly in love. And like there's this whole scene where the, the one character is talking to like his childhood best friend and is like, you know, we're not romantic because I may be romantic with this other person and da-da-da-da-da. And then I went back and talked to a bunch of people who had seen it and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? That didn't matter. There was no gay relationship in this show. So maybe maybe you see what you see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be... I mean, firstly, I am always here for queer characters in any media. So I want them to be lovers very much. <laughs> um, and But what I will say is, uh, and I'm not sure how true... This is in Japan, but at least here in Taiwan, which was under uh, Japanese colonial rule for some time. Um, people here are very affectionate um, with the same sex. Um, it's very normal for, um, you know, two girls to be holding hands and they're just friends. So, like, I feel like it might just be perhaps a cultural difference that's uh, being uh, expressed in the show. I don't know. But just thought I'd throw that out there. But, you know, it'd be cool if they're queer, too. I will say I don't think Japan has that same approach to physical affection. I think it's quite the opposite. I can't. I've never lived there or anything, so I'm only going off of what I've experienced. But I've never never (laughs) been to Japan either, but I thought I would throw that out there. That might be just like a kind of a just a Taiwanese thing, I guess, I suppose. Yeah, but it is very cultural, like what uh, what you perceive as indicating romance in terms of the way people act towards each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so getting started on what what happens in this episode, there's this whole setup, right, Mike? Like you said, the guy died of tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And so everybody knows he dies at a young age of tuberculosis. So they start by showing his friend uh, Kosuke going and visiting his grave. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, the actual anime is going to take place 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when he reflects on his friend and says all of these things about him. That I listed earlier. Dashing, lying, mischievous, quick to cry, steadfast in friendship, quick to satisfy, chatterbox, loved women, romantic sadist. I didn't successfully write them all down, but I felt like that was a good sampling. Did we? How much of that behavior did we see in this episode? I don't know if I would say, like, dashing, more uh, irresponsible, which is maybe what some people say dashing when they want to be like, he's irresponsible, but it's like fun. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like the detective characters in Detective Academy Q in that they, like, would hear a noise on the street and barge into someone's home and stumble upon a murder. (laughs) I I don't think this was included in that initial list, but this was mentioned in the episode and, uh... They they keep talking about how he's such a genius, like a genius poet. And it's... Yeah. I'm sure the poetry, like his poetry, which we have not really seen in this episode, is genius. But it's like the detective skills is not <laughs> particularly ingenious. So I'm still waiting <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about that. Because, like, once the detective stuff starts happening... He's like, how did you figure all that stuff out? And the character says, oh, well, detectives and poets have a lot in common. And that that's what they come back to at the end of the episode is kind of this gentle poetic reflection on the simil- similarity between detectives and poets. Right. I think the idea is this, this idea that like imagination and logic are the two things that a detective needs to have. But he pretty much just mostly has like the imagination part unlocked. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Did what did we catch from the the like poet poets are detectives at the end and do we agree? I mean, I think the way that they're kind of thinking about that 
and exploring that is through like the idea that both poets and detectives have to have some kind of understanding of human motivation, um, especially like because you had mentioned that Tonka poetry and uh, this poet in particular kind of turned turns the eye more toward like real people and like kind of social reality. So I guess in that sense, poets and detectives both just have to, you know, understand what makes people tick, um, what moves them, literally, like what motivates them to to act the way they do. And if you're just a, you know, if you're a poet, what's going to move someone, get them to think. And it's one similarity. And he talks about like being able to observe the slightest of changes. Like, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if he explicitly says like the changes of the seasons is what you might write about in poetry, but then there's also like people changing their clothing expressions and the details that change. Like in this letter, the change of the blood spatter on the, on the, in this uh, episode, the changing of the blood spatter on the letter. It's a bit of a rom- it's a bit of a romantic, like clearly the author, like, you know, this is like a, a famous kind of heroic poet figure in Japan. So he's like being, he's romanticizing him a bit to become this incredible detective, I would say. Or, but what do I know? Maybe there's like written records of this guy being a super clever guy. (laughs) I I mean, it is, it is, I mean, Japan has always been a very like text heavy culture. So it would not surprise me at all if there were written records of this person. But I was going to say about the, like the, Changing the details, or what was the line? It's something like, uh, poets try to catch the slightest of changes and turn them into poems. But when I think about what a poem is, like a poem is like the most distilled kind of form of language and of writing. And changing one sound changes the whole poem. So I, I think that that's another kind of similarity of just like being finely attuned to change. Um, you know, the, the poet has to be because every detail matters in a poem, especially if you're working it in a line that has five syllables. It's like every single sound counts. Well, and in Japanese, like this comes up a bunch, like you can have the same sound mean different things or be written different ways, de- depending on context and the characters and things like that. I don't think the sound is different because Japanese is not a tonal language but the but the characters like can be read in different ways like one character might be read in slightly different ways and have different meanings so going through the plot a little bit so at the start what we know is ishika or ishikawa the poet guy he's in tokyo just for his third time he's mostly a small town guy he's from the same hometown as uh Kosuke Kendaichi, which you can imagine is like also something in the author of the novel's head where he's like, oh, these two were from the same hometown. And, you know, he still wears traditional attire, Ishikawa does, while Kosuke is dressed in like a a suit. Do you know the actual names of the garments that Ishikawa was wearing? It was like a long kind of robe. Nope. We don't know what it's called, but, but it's traditional Japanese attire. And... Uh, there's a setup about Kendaichi that he has like given up on some kind of passion about being a creative and has decided to just be a teacher so that he can make money instead. Yeah, which is funny. What the, I, I laughed when I Googled him and the, the thing I read, like he's most famous for like writing a dictionary. I'm like, you did give up on literature and become a scholar. That did happen. <laughs> did you catch that? I mean, you are a teacher, but yeah. you're not someone who tried to do something else first. <laughs> no. No, I did not. I went right into teaching. But there is this myth. There's this like myth of, uh, you know. If you can't do teach. That's such horse crap. Which is honestly the stupidest (laughs) thing I've ever heard. And people who espouse that idea, like actually believe in it, are often uh, the worst. Yeah, I hate that because teaching is hard. I can't teach. Like, I, I'm not going to become a teacher because I can't teach. Like, it's a very, very hard skill, in my opinion. 
to be yeah, able to teach, to have the like empathy and patience to teach people something that you already know, like that would drive me nuts. So, and it's really funny nowadays, like especially in the U.S., to be like, yeah, I'll be a teacher because that's an easy way to money. It's like it's steady paycheck. But I wonder. I mean, maybe it was like super <laughs> lucrative back then, and it was like a surefire like a no honestly making scheme teaching to has be a always been, no 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 teaching has always been. <laughs> profession and it's because it's always been associated with women's work i mean it's it's a quote-unquote pink collar job that has historically been better represented by women so it's uh uh kind of always been underpaid always yeah this is still the meiji era i think an era where women just flat out didn't work so i think it is at at, uh, in japan japanese culture still like a man's job to be a teacher uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's it was like probably a fallback for pe- for like directionless rich children. So I think there's this idea that oh. uh, Kyosuke is like he probably comes from a rich family and is trying to strike out on his own as a literate uh, a writer of literature, and then like not that great at it. So picking a more traditional role for someone in his stance. Yeah, I see that because like you've been tutored or something and you've gotten a good education growing up. So now you can that's a skill you have that you can pass down. Um, And he has this bookshelf full of expensive books, which uh, will be important later. (laughs) And the one book they pull off the shelf is Heinz Book Der Leader. Mm -hmm. Do we know? Do we know what this is? Yeah, it would be like a book of songs. Uh, Okay, well. There's a German Wikipedia page about it. <laughs> Great. Translate it for us, Noah. <laughs> it's a collection of verse by Heinrich Hein. All his poetry to that time of publication, bittersweet, self-ironic verses about unrequited love, romantic sensibilities, etc. There's a very short uh, thing about it on Britannica. And this is interesting because you, you were talking earlier about how some of their stuff reminded you of romantics. And so what we do see from this is they have some poetry from the West that there maybe is influencing them in some way. But um, I mean, we'd have to go into like Tonka poetry scholarship for someone to trace that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, none of us are Tonka poetry scholars. We are scholars of mysteries, such as the mystery they encounter when they're out that night. And yeah, like a man comes rushing out of a brothel with blood on his sleeve. And Ishikawa has already been kind of looking for an excuse to go into a brothel. And so they run inside and they keep opening all the doors and then they find the room with, with a dead body in it. With this very obvious like missing triangle in the spatter of blood or rectangle in the spatter of blood. It's like the first thing you notice if you're looking for any kind of detail. <laughs> yeah, the, the body is kind of slumped over the table. Uh, Maddie, you mentioned to me that you were caught off guard when the body appeared. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the reason for that is because uh, Noah, when you asked me to come on this podcast, you were like, you know, I thought of you because, you know, the the protagonist is a poet and the other one's a linguist. And I was like, oh, fun. It's a, it's a show like about art. I'm going to love this. And um, I completely forgot that your podcast is actually dedicated to mystery uh, detective animes. So I was like, oh, of course, like people get murdered and stuff. <laughs> I just like completely <laughs> forgot. And so then when I saw the body, I was like, oh, my God, it's a body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty bloody scene. It's not it's not the most gruesome scene we've seen, which is funny because the other anime we were watching was more for children than this is and yet had like more bloody murders, but not brothels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, uh, the other the secondary protagonist or the narrative uh, narrator pr- protagonist Kyosuke has the same reaction you did. He screams and falls on the ground, so that's the proper reaction. I mean, he's yeah. a little more dramatic than I was. My jaw just dropped. I didn't say anything. <laughs> you didn't fall out of your chair or anything. No, I did not. But it it is it is like it the the beginning of the episode and everything that's happened so far has been very like period drama slice of life um you know pastel pastel colored shots of nature sort of thing and now it's like blood blood (laughs) bloody blood Mm -hmm. the other thing is they mention when before they walk into the brothel that it's been 40 years since westernization and i think that goes along with this being 10 years before his death to being right around the some 1902 or something like that we get 
the police officer who comes to investigate. And they're talking all about the blood. And Ishikawa suggests that the murderer... Well, well, the inspector immediately suggests them. And he said, like, look, we don't have blood on our hands. There was clearly a lot of blood and we wouldn't have been able to get it out from under our fingernails if we were involved. They point out the spot where the letter was on the table. So that's kind of what we have for the setup of the the murder mystery, which is fairly light in this episode. There's a guy who's murdered in a brothel. There was a, a something that was removed off the table. They all assume it's a letter. And um, there was this guy that they saw running out of the thing. And that's about it. They prove that it wasn't them, and then they go home, and they they learn more about what the police decided in the newspaper the next day. Um, there's this character who they, they both live in this like boarding house together, and there's this character who's a young girl named Kayo who brings them food. Although I will say it's it speaks to the slightly BL or boys love trappings of this show that the only main female character is young and angry and small, and not sex <laughs> like no sexual energy at all. Versus all the male characters that are handsome and dashing. <laughs> well, we haven't talked about... Well, I was thinking about mentioning this earlier. But yeah, anime is typically very targeted at specific demographics. And they have ideas of like, what is a show that a woman is going to watch? Well, she doesn't need she doesn't need to see a show with big-breasted ladies. Like, oh, like a young boy needs to see when he's watching anime. She needs to see like sensual men in different costumes <laughs> i mean okay uh. <laughs> but i don't know actually is this aimed at women am i just making that up or i was uh, getting that impression pretty strongly i i feel like especially like see what with, Wikipedia says. with the opening we get like those very bl poses and style stylization um so i i think it probably falls under a shoujo show if we're going to throw things into categories yeah wikipedia often lists that but it doesn't list it for this one so uh it's just our guess in this case i would say yeah those uh, genres typically are assigned or like grow out of the manga like that's really a much more stronger like manga genre thing than an anime if it didn't have a manga the anime is whatever the anime is so right and we we haven't highlighted that we talked about it but it is interesting that this went from novel to anime and didn't stop at manga in between Mm -hmm. is that a typical progression in japanese media uh, specifically manga getting adapted into anime. Like, I would say... Yeah, that makes sense. Probably something like 75% of anime are adapted from manga. We've seen some, you know, original animes that come from nowhere. They're also sometimes adapted from light novels, which are... Manga with less pictures. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a it's like a, a, a novel with pictures. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, could, you could equate light novels to, like, a modern Japanese version of Penny Dreadfuls. Like, those like, oh, very okay. short, like, not that, like, fancy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're yeah. considered less than f- actual actual literature. This is a big digression. We can go into it. We'll go into light novels when we have something adapted from Light novels novel. are, like, they're, like, a few chapters that come out, like, right. each month or something like that as, yeah. like, part of an overarching story. When, when, once, once you mentioned the penny dreadful, it's like I okay, I get it. <laughs> but it's but it's not something you'd be interested in because as we've already mentioned, you like heavy books and they're physically very light and not very long. <laughs> Actually, the thing is, like I am, I am, I am a woman of extremes, and I like either like thick, thick, thick books or I like very, very slim volumes and like Ooh. stuff in yeah. the middle is like hmm, okay. I mean, I, I don't read it. okay. So the mystery. There are two people. There are two people involved. The person that was killed is named Hoshino Tatsukichi, and he was working at the mines uh, where Oguri Takatoshi is in charge. Oguri Takatoshi is the person with the blood on his sleeve that they bumped into on their way in. And the theory is that Hoshino didn't was saying, you know, you're overworking me, and he was refusing to work more, and so his boss killed him. And furthermore, the le- a letter, a bloody letter, and the murder weapon were found in this guy Oguri's garden. So it seems like pretty cut and dry. Yeah, but the detail that the, that he picks up from uh, the picture in the paper is that it's got this like blotchy skull blood stain on the letter, and he was like, "Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It was like a a, sh- a explosion of blood." <laughs> it also just like doesn't make sense that like. 
to have a skull shape or a blood shape of like a face on a on a letter. It's like you, the whole face has to be like covered in blood and then like an imprint <laughs> would have to be taken. It's like, why? Who does this? <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of forge something, then like why make it like look so like ooga booga, like this is a murder <laughs> thing? <laughs> it <looks> badly. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, Ishikawa sees it and he's immediately like, this guy's being framed. Um, the, he's he's in like some kind of Tonka cafe, which I saw in the Wikipedia article. Like they had these gatherings of, of Tonka poets talking to some guy named Yoshi Isamu, who he's eating breakfast with. You know, we're not going to go too far in this, this anime over time. So I don't, his character might be important later on. He um, probably but, will be. He's in the opening. But uh, he goes up to this other guy at this other table and he's like, hey, I need something from you. Mm -hmm. specifically to utilize your clout to make the police do what I say. <laughs> and as I was saying before, there's like all these scenes outside of nature. And so we go to the river and yeah, the, the stuff is drawn pretty, pretty. It was very nice. I liked that. I liked the animation a lot. And I liked the, like the, the colors, a really good color scheme kind of all throughout. Yeah. They, it doesn't look, I mean, it's obviously anime when you watch it, but it doesn't, it, it definitely is very different than like a shonen anime, which tend to have a very similar style to each other. Yeah, there's like a feeling of like watercolors, uh, yes. watercolor art. Um, so Ishigawa ha Ishikawa has asked the police officer and his friend Kendaichi to come to this, by this river. He's like, Oguri is framed. And the guy from the coffee shop is there too, who is Dr. Mori Rintaro, the Surgeon General from the Army, mm -hmm. who he knows from the Tonka Poetry. And like the fact that he has brought the Surgeon General like gives him some clout over the inspector. And I will say, I did check this guy out. He's another actual historical figure that existed. And he's also a novelist from that era who wrote under the pen name Mori Ogai. Uh, so he's, a he's oh. another historical person who really was... Uh, army surgeon slash novelist. He's another literature guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now it's the oldest trick in the book, right? I've got to use the bathroom. <laughs> says, oh, are we right outside the home of the murder suspect? Um, you've got to let me inside. Or I'll have and... to poop on the ground. <laughs> Gross. This is a, a cultural, this is a, a high culture episode of our podcast, Michael. <laughs> you can leave that potty humor in the oh i'm sorry or i'll have to defecate upon the lanai <laughs> you can save that uh potty humor for our next episode which will be much more lowbrow um okay so they go inside this building to go to the restroom and he leads everybody to the study and in the study he's like what would let's think through what would have happened if there was a letter at the scene that he didn't want anyone to see. So he replaced it with this fake letter and he kind of acts out and mimes. A, I, I liked this moment, which is maybe one of the reasons I didn't see where it was heading, um, like picking up the letter and burning it and dropping it in the trash can. And what do we find in the trash can? Scraps of a paper burned. Yeah, he's like very dramatically reveals these ashes after doing this imaginary miming of burning the letter and putting it in the ashtray <laughs> and dumping it in the trash can. And this convinces the inspector that, like, it wasn't the real letter and they need to look for someone who's not Oguri. But this this is where we get the t the twist. <laughs> is it the, the twist? If you can call it that. I mean, it's a... I mean, I guess it's a twist, I suppose. Well, if you remember, Ishikawa is dashing, lying, and mischievous. Mischievous. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is definitely in keeping with his character, but it's just, like, from our end as viewers, like... Is it a twist? Like, I feel like this is, it's one of those just like, you want a twist to be like, kind of like, oh, oh my God, they did that. Whoa. And like, I did not get that <laughs> feeling at all. It was just kind of like, cool, bro. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it turns out that the letter in the trash can was a fake planted by Ishikawa while he was going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, his rationale is that, like, it's super obvious that this guy is innocent and that the letter that was found was fake. And the police officer is too much of an idiot to see it. So I made up some evidence to, so that he would not be able, like, to deny it and that this guy is innocent. And Ishikawa is also like, the real killer might be someone like me, by which he either means someone who's clever or a poet. Who knows? Maybe it's him. All along. 
I think this is set up for like the overarching mystery or the one in the tower, like foreshadowing, because yeah. we don't find out who the real murderer is. They're just like, I think it might be someone like me. And then like cut to another scene. Yeah, <laughs> cut to an image of a leaf on a moonlit stream. And then he recites a poem <laughs> while looking at the train. I mean, that's what this show is doing. It's like going back and forth between between walking through nature, reciting poetry, going to a brothel, murder. <laughs> I also like there was this part in this scene where uh, Kyosuke, like, where he's like, oh, don't you want to get something to eat? And da 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 da. And Kyosuke, like, stops and he's, like, looking down. And, like, I feel like this is the moment where it crystallizes for Kyosuke that he is, like, being used and just decides to double down on it and be like, yep, use me because I want to live vicariously through your uh, genius. <laughs> I don't have romantic feelings for you. But if I did, I would let you use me in this way. <laughs> Yeah, and we get this thing at the end of the the episode. Did did you um, anticipate some of this? So at the end, like Ishikawa is going to be kicked out because he doesn't have money to pay rent, and his friend runs away. Did you did you figure out what what was gonna what he had done before they showed us? Oh, is this something I shouldn't spoil? No, you can spoil it. We're there. Okay. I'm just phrasing the question vaguely. Okay, you mean like to like bring the money for him? Yeah. Yeah, I figured that was going to happen. Like, and if it wasn't, it was going to be something like he was going to bring him a poem. <laughs> uh, Kendachi runs out of the room. We had seen his expensive, his bookshelves filled with expensive books before. And he comes back with the money and Ishikawa runs down and finds that his bookshelves are now all empty. And we all kind of, it was, it was telegraphed, obviously, enough from the way that they showed it early on that that was going to happen. I thought this was cute was cute where like now suddenly the very aloof Ishikawa is like in tears and like actually like oh this person is actually my friend and he has sold his books and I says the line what like as long as I am alive cough cough uh <laughs> nothing bad no. will ever happen to you or something no like that. even if I die I'll never let anything happen to you that totally uh keepable promise of I will protect you from beyond the grave <laughs> ghosts yeah uh, then we get the discussion of poets as detectives. We already thoroughly discussed that. And the episode ends with Ishikawa nailing a sign above his door, Woodpecker's detective office. And that's how he's going to make money, by being mm -hmm. a detective. I feel like Woodpecker is probably an allusion to, like, beings that live, like, not only, like, a, he's, like, a noted for being, like, a short figure, I guess. Like, so small and, like, living life very quickly and then dying young. Like, I feel like that's the whole Woodpecker illusion. Yeah, I don't know. This clearly, like, as much as these are real characters, he ne he was never he never opened a detective's office called the Woodpecker Detective's <laughs> Office. That's where the novel invents stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it also makes sense because I mean, detectives like they try to like kind of chip away at things, to, like get to a truth, and a woodpecker does that to a tree. Mm -hmm. Oh, I guess I was thinking about hummingbirds when I said all that, but yeah, woodpeckers aren't really anything like that. Never mind. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> We've learned that in Meiji era Japan, you can, uh, even if you're renting a room, you can nail a sign above it, and that's totally okay. Well, the landlady was actually specifically pretty mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I do want to say, I do want to go back to the, the poets and the yeah. question, because before I had talked about it, how like I saw some similarities, but I actually... Um, I'm not I'm not totally convinced by the analogy, if I'm going to be real. I'm... Um, like, because to me, maybe it's this is more a comment on the kind of poetry that I like, but I like, um, you know, people like William Blake and like Rilke, like poets who are really imaginative and like kind of mystical and kind of strange and whose work has like very little to do with real life. And like a detective is like mining they're the crime scenes and people for like elements of whatever truth which i had mentioned before is a similarity but it's like the, those details are so real and like banal that like it seems just like the kind of poetry that i really love has nothing to do with that like the poet like the kind of poets i love are mining the things that are not real that are not possible and to like manifest them to make them real. And that's not what a detective does at all. Who has to just be stuck in kind of like the trivialities of like, well, what happened? Uh, how did the blood spatter? And like, what were they wearing? And it's like, 
for me, my favorite poets don't do that. So I'm not totally convinced by the analogy, but I, I, I'm, I enjoy it. And I think it's, it's, it's an interesting one. And I would be interested to see how and if they continue to develop that as the series continues. Yeah, it's interesting to think too, when you have most of the stuff we're going to be watching is not about police detectives solving crimes. Uh, Next week is an exception. We'll preview that for you. So when you sometimes it's like private investigators and I don't know who Sherlock Holmes types who are like detectives and that's their identity. But then there's often this idea of like what kind of person has the skills to be a detective. And you look at like Murder, She Wrote. It's like often mystery novelists. That's like an obvious category. But then other times it's like this random historical figure we've decided could be a detective or like Miss Marple is just an old lady who hears things and is very smart. It's like, uh, so I think it, this is just one example of an author having an opinion of like, oh, this kind of person would be able to solve a mystery mm-hmm. uh, because of their their traits. And that makes an interesting novel. Often in, in J- Japan in particular, we have high school detectives. So <laughs> I don't know what it is about high school students. Long story short, mystery authors are pretty capable of self-insertion. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the ending song, I didn't remember it from before. First of all, it 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 was kind of short, wasn't it? It wasn't as long as other ending songs. Maybe not. I don't. I don't know. I didn't um, pay attention to that. It starts off very slow, like with a woman singing over piano and very tradition, a traditional painted image of flowers, hills, and then the character sleeping. You know that that thing we like to see. I think <laughs> I I don't know if my sarcasm came off when I said that <laughs> enough. You paused uh, then- facially. But then the rock guitar kicks in and uh, the song picks up. And I liked this song, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, see, this is a thing that I think I have I've been watching more and more anime past few years and doing this podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Characters <laughs> slowly walking as the ending song plays and like there's images in the background is like very, very common in an anime ending theme. Well, it's also very common for the ending theme to be less expensive than the opening theme. So things like slowly walking while images go by is very typical. <laughs> and if you do continue on with de- uh, with Woodpecker Detective's Office, the next episode is about a red light district woman. So they're going right back to the brothel and encountering more murders. Um, I don't know how dangerous brothels were at this time, but uh, that's what's happening next there. We will not be watching the next one next week. Plot twist. Um uh, but, uh, you know, there's 11 more episodes of this show. There's one 12 episode season. So if it sounds like something, you could watch more of it and um, tell us what you think and whether or not we should go back and watch the whole season. You can email us dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think. And if, if you have any sexy pictures of Ben Franklin wearing a hoodie <laughs> over his shoulder while wearing headphones that you have drawn, send it to us as well and I will describe it on the podcast. Oh, you know Ben Franklin has his zipper pull on his hoodie is shaped like a key. <laughs> oh my god, do it. That's oh. so cute. Or, or like a little kite. <laughs> anyway, so, oh, well, one thing I wanted to talk about was what, how was the mystery incorporated and was it satisfying? Not really is my answer. I thought like the payoff of the moment when the books disappear and you're like, oh, we saw those books earlier. Like that's better foreshadowing than any of the mystery foreshadowing that happened in this episode. Um, What did you all think? Like, was it a good mystery? (laughs) I did not think so. And granted, I have a very like, uh, I guess, low bar for for mystery. It's like because and I'm fooled by pretty much everything. It's one of the reasons why I don't like mysteries. It's like I always fall for the traps it's like there were no traps to fall for. Um, and it really just felt like it was kind of unresolved. Um, but I actually maybe think that's one thing that made me actually really like the show is like I had no traps to fall for. It was just like a very like calm, cozy sort of anime, like with some good animation, some interesting ideas and characters, but not super... Uh, mysterious so i liked it overall. the character development is much better 
is much better than the mystery part of this episode. I feel like this is a lot of, like I said, now this is only being predictive, but I think since it goes unsolved, this is probably set up for the overarching mystery from the novel. Yeah, that may be. I feel like we're, we've got like a, an establishment episode. We'll probably have a couple episodes of one-off mysteries, and then we'll probably hit the main mystery. And it's not a bad pilot. I mean, I saw this and then watched a few more episodes and then eventually got distracted or something and stopped watching. I honestly hope that the overarching mystery of the series is like, where did all the books go? And is it, he can, can he can he track down his volume of Einar Kaina? Like, can he do it? I also don't know if he like sold the books because they, they established the books should be very expensive, which makes sense because they're like, it's an era where paper is like only just starting to be mass produced. Mm. And if they're European books, that means they came over the ocean. So uh, pretty expensive, but he sells them for 40 yen, which now is like 40 cents. So holy inflation. Uh, but I guess that's a month's rent. So it sounds like he sold them for not enough, probably. But mm. also that's not a lot of money by current standards. <laughs> they sold them very quickly too. Like they physically moved a lot of books. He found someone to buy them. It's kind of crazy. And it, it looked like the span of just an hour, a couple hours at a time when you didn't have cars. So pretty impressive. Or I guess they might have had, start, they were starting to have cars. Well, I think the idea is he sold them for definitely not enough to resolve yeah. the situation quickly. Yeah. Um, would we watch more? Well, I have watched more and I made Michael watch more, though he wasn't like watching it of his own. He wouldn't have watched more of his own accord. Is that fair to say? Pretty much. Uh, what, what about you, Maddie? Would you check out more of this show? I would. It was just very like, it was just cozy. It was, that was nice. And I don't really have high expectations of the mystery front. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was enjoyable. You probably won't like it if you like good mysteries because it's not really that but i think there were a lot of other things uh that the show has to offer which i did enjoy well it's such an interesting one to come to the u.s too because it's clearly based in like knowing i mean it, it made sense to us to watch without knowing who these p people were but clearly in japan where like you might have heard of these people like some of the people we were mentioning earlier the poets or whoever um it would read very differently um so that's an interesting aspect as well yeah, I truly feel like if this was like set like a good metaphor is like if it was set in Philadelphia, this would be about like Ben Franklin and like all the people from that era. Like, yeah, just sort of like a lot of romanticized historical. Nonsense. George Washington chopping open mysteries with his <laughs> cherry chopping <laughs> axe. The cherry tree detective agency. Well, why don't I write that novel? <laughs> well, you know, we had we had a good time watching this again. And uh I think you. I hope you can see why I invited you to come talk about this, so that we could talk about whether or not a detective is a poet, and vice versa. Yes, I did. I did enjoy that conversation a lot. This was. This has been very fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for. We're recording across time zones in a weird way, so it's like early morning for us and late night for you. So staying up. Thanks for staying up late for us, and it's been good to catch up. Yeah, my pleasure. In our next episode. We're going to be covering an anime called Millionaire Detective Balance Unlimited. So we're going to be watching the pilot of that. Um, I want to say this also came out last year in 2020. And it the premise is that there's a, a detective who with, with this one kind of like small, unimportant branch of this maybe fictional police department and... This really, really rich guy, like millionaire, billionaire, essentially buys his way onto the police force because for whatever reason, and he just throws his money at every problem. Wait a minute, Noah, are you saying that in this February of 2021, we get to watch an anime about everybody's two favorite things, the police and the rich? Well, I had a, I had specific jokes I was going to make about that that I will save for next episode. But yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sure is something. This guy is like Jeff Bezos level rich. <laughs> the look on your face is like disgust no one should have that much money i there i said it um so you can check out millionaire detective balance unlimited on funimation i think it might be streaming some other places and then join us next week when we talk about that and yeah thank you to our listeners thank you so much for listening um we're really glad to have you back with us now that we're releasing podcast episodes again thanks for being patient on our break or maybe you've been binging at this and there wasn't a break that's cool too um, if you want to support the podcast or you're really enjoying it, there's some really great things you can do to spread the word. So 
you know, join us on social media, follow us on Facebook, Dying Message Podcast, and at Dying Message Pod on Twitter, and then go to Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Subscribe, follow. On Apple Podcast, you can give us that star rating. You can rate us as many stars as you can see in the sky. So hopefully rate us at nighttime. And uh, that's very helpful for other people to know you enjoyed the show. Leave a comment as well. Let them know what you think. And send us that email to dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com. We will read it on the show. We will talk about it. We will say your name out loud, you know, within reason. We can't promise to read everything because discretion. But uh, try to push those limits. No, don't try to push those limits. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be back next week. Ah, uh aha. This week, I'm pretending that I almost forgot about it. Uh, Maddie, I need to ask you about the mysteries of the sticky-fingered elves. What's that mean? Yeah, so this is um, almost a daily occurrence for me. It's a a near-daily mystery, and many days I solve it, but some days I don't. You know when you just, like, you're carrying something and you put it down for three seconds, and then you turn around, and then it's gone? Have you had yeah. It? Yeah, I do All the that- time. Exactly. I do that all the time. And when I'm when I'm missing that item, I say that the elves have stolen it. And usually I I find what the elves took. They usually put it somewhere else just to fuck with me. Um but yeah, that's like kind of my daily mystery that I uh try to solve. It's just where did I put that thing? The elves took it. <laughs> Do you have a common technique? Like, do you tr- retrace your steps no. or like kind of close your eyes? You just no, look no. It just it happens. Like, I either find the thing or I don't, and it's usually somewhere dumb. I mean, I might retrace my steps depending on what the item is, but most of the time, it's just like it'll pop up eventually. It doesn't. The elves never carry things all that far. I have a question about the elves. Like in your mental image, are these like? <laughs> I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask like, that question. Claymation Christmas elves from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like very short and cute, or is like Orlando Bloom sneaking around your apartment taking things? Um, this is more like a kind of if you can imagine like a demonic elf on the shelf. It looks like that. So the elf on the shelf, because I think it's demonic already. <laughs> well, even more demonic, like 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 kind of with, like with a hellish grin, like that's what it would look like. Those that's what the elves look like who steal all my stuff. I like the mental image of Orlando Bloom sneaking around stealing people's chapstick, but to each their own. <laughs> Fun fact, Noah, maybe you remember this from middle school, but Orlando Bloom was like my very first like celebrity crush. I think I do remember Orlando <laughs> Bloom being talked about. Yep. As Legolas, right? Or was it, well, it was, in like, Pirates? I, I loved him both as Legolas and as uh, what's his face in Pirates of the Caribbean. So I liked both. Will like, Turner. Yeah, Will Turner. So I like I appreciated both like Pretty Boy Orlando Bloom <laughs> and like Grungy Pirate Orlando Bloom. But now I guess I'll have to think of him as uh, Elf Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I haven't heard about him in a while, so it wouldn't surprise me if he has now taken to just sneaking into people's homes and stealing their trinkets. Orlando Bloom, please, if you're listening, don't sue us. It's a joke. We don't mean it. (laughs) He's not going to sue us. He's too busy being... Well, see, I don't even know what he's busy doing, so maybe he does have time to sue us. (laughs) Maybe maybe he just dresses up like an elf in his spare time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that closes the case on this week's Dying Message, the Detective Anime Mystery Podcast, episode 29, in which we recite poetry and visit a brothel. Podcast cover art created by Miriam Bloom. Music excerpted from Solve the Damn Mystery by Jesse Spillane. Thank you again to our mystery guest, Maddie. Coming up, how wealthy does a detective have to be for it to be their defining characteristic? Can money solve a crime? How much does it cost to buy a bridge? All that and more when we next examine the scene of the crime for that fatal note, the dying message. Today's case, Woodpecker's detective office... Is it office or agency? I always want to say agency. Office. It is office. I also remembered to ask if the heat is on or off. It's off. Okay, great. I'm going to take this again. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Choking on my coffee. It's not a gag this time. (coughs) 
Are you okay? Yeah. It's not part of my running gag where I pretend to take a sip of coffee and die. I'm actually yeah, choking I know. on my coffee. Okay.